you're listening to Ink Suds, and my guest this week is Benjamin Mara. Uh, ben was on, we were just talking about this about six years ago, I think, uh, was the last time when he just had uh, Gangster Rap Posse and Night Business out, and we were uh, talking about Paul Galassi and other stuff um, way back when. But since then, uh, I guess you finished those, but have uh, newer works, uh, most importantly. Um, recently from Fanographics is Terror Salter, One Man War on Terror, um, as well from Sacred Prism, the ginormous blades in lasers. I love how uh, that was originally really tiny mini comics, <laughs> and they just made it like as huge as possible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was. Uh, I don't know where that uh, decision came from. I guess Ian decided to do it that way, but um, yeah, I think. I think it's actually even larger than the original drawings. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I like that. Like, I did the I did the drawings at like nine by twelve. It might be a one hundred percent, but uh, it, well, nine by twelve, and then they were shrunk down to you know like five and a half by whatever four and a half or something like that. Yeah, no, they were itty bitty. Yeah, really uh, small. Really small. Uh, yeah. As well, you had the uh, American Psycho newspaper. Was that for Floating World? You did that with, or is that self-published? I actually did that as that. That I did as really small zines too, um, just four different installments. And um, then Jason, uh, Floating World, you know, he wanted to republish those, so uh, he was doing that. You know, he was experimenting with that uh, newspaper. Uh, format and um, those are definitely bigger than the originals. Mm-hmm. Um, I just scanned them in really high resolution and blew them up, and they worked. It was, they, I was pretty shocked. That they yeah, they printed print beautifully. Yeah, it, it really it wasn't. It, there wasn't any sort of like decay or anything like that, and like the quality. Of, I was I, I was definitely skeptical about how it was going to turn out, but he was confident that it was going to be fine and it turned out great. We shall make mention of other recent releases include uh, Lincoln Washington, Free yeah. Man, yeah. as well as the incredibly fantastic adventures of Maureen Dowd. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, does that kind of play as a precursor to Terror Salter? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, I guess you know, I didn't really think about that, but certainly could be um they're they're a little bit of the same like character like definitely cut from the same cloth i guess well i don't know Eric salter is <laughs> i'm what i'm what a little bit uh unique in in like his uh his dealings and the way he sort of operates i really want to just jump into that book okay um, and really really to the fat on it um i loved it it's extreme it's uh i don't know what the right way to define it um it's like a hedonistic trip into violent nihilism yeah yeah that makes sense um but it, it it's really fascinating because you avoid making it any kind of political polemic yeah i wanted to kind of avoid that uh 
I just I, I really wanted it to be like this uh, action comic. You know, I wanted it to be a Chuck Norris sort of uh, uh, action movie comic, and um, or like Sylvester Stallone, sort of like a Rambo, uh, First Blood Part Two sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but and then yeah, it has it has sort of like degrees of reference to um, you know George W. Bush era neocon foreign policy. Um, but it's it's not necessarily like about those things. Well, it just sort of uses that as like a as like a, a touchstone or something. Yeah, it's a setting uh, that the story takes place in. But I think of like, I just uh, one of the things that comes to mind is um, just how heated things came across for the fuckador shit, and yeah. it seems like you just kind of avoiding all of that altogether. Uh, by making it so kind of strip down and bare bones. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really just supposed to be, um, yeah, like I said, this action comic that's about uh, the way we sort of look at violence and sex in uh, the media, which is really, you know, very well-tread territory this is not it's not necessarily like uh um themes that are original or 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 haven't been the light you know have been in the dark for a long time mm -hmm. um but i really wanted to um i don't know i was just, i just really wanted to make like a b-movie comic uh mm -hmm. i was really inspired by this movie american hunter by this uh, director, Arizal. And uh, there's this um, really cool theater in Brooklyn called, um, oh man, now I'm blanking, uh, Spectacle Theater. And they, they just show like the most obscure movies ever. And I think that I have a pretty good knowledge of like really rare kind of, you know, unique, uh, obscure movies but I, I have no idea because they unearth like the most insane weird movies that I've ever seen and they showed they, they also cut their own trailers for them and they cut this brilliant trailer for American Hunter and my friends and I were able to get a copy of it and we watched it and I was like super inspired by it and um, I wanted to make a comic that sort of gave me the same feeling watching that movie it's it's sort of similar to like um samurai cop or or you know just like one of these really sort of um very low budget action movies that doesn't know that it's low budget that just is trying to make the best possible action movie that, yeah. that it, can, it can be but it's just um you know it doesn't succeed at all what era was it from it's from the 80s, I think. It's, it stars uh, Chris Mitchum, who's Robert Mitchum's son. Oh, funny. Yeah, yeah. He had, like, a really interesting career as, like, a B-movie actor. Um, and it was made in Asia. I can't remember exactly what country it was from. Um, but it's it's just, like, this sort of amazing kind of, like, uh, ripoff of all these different kind of, you know, successful 
action spy movies. And, um, yeah, I just, I just wanted to sort of capture it, do, do a comic book version of that. Uh, but you know, in comics, you're not necessarily limited to what your budget is or what your, you know, the physics of like, you know, the <laughs> natural world, you, you just are sort of limited by your imagination. So you can just do kind of whatever you want and make it as ridiculous as you want to. But I also wanted to like make like the sex scenes like really, really over the top as as graphic as the uh, as the violence was. So <laughs> they kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, well, I mean, I was I wanted to do this. I, well, I was as I was like writing it, I was kind of crafting it, and um, you know, I, I got to this like sex scene at the end, and I was like, man, I'm just gonna make it as graphic and you know, uh, moment to moment as the, uh, as some of the violence is like communicated. It almost felt it would have worked as like a 1980s Eros comic with that graphics. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny that, that, you know, I agree. Number one, I I don't think it's as sexy as some of those comics (laughs) were, but like, what's funny to me is people like reacting to the sex scenes um like that's what sort of gets their attention and i'm like didn't you read you know like like graphic like porn comics at all like didn't you come across these ever you know it sort of surprises me that it, that it sort of um resonates with people because i feel like it's been done a lot before well it's it's been such a time lapse though between now i think and you're right stuff was really going like Birdland's got to be more than twenty years ago. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I some I I wish I, yeah, I don't even think that there is really um, any portal to access that stuff very easily anymore, like there used to be. Yeah, at the Fantagraphics store, it's like this weird closet area. Oh, really? To go into, it's like just being blown out. I think they still do some. Eros stuff. I think like uh-huh. Jason Miles was running it for a while, or like the editor on it. Wow. Um, but amazing. it's not like for folks that don't know, Eros was Fanagraphics uh, way they stayed in business for many years. Um, every alternative cartoons you could think of it did an Eros comic at some point. Uh, even like Bob Fingerman did one. Roberta Gregory. I think I don't know if hers was for Eros. Mm artistic licentiousness well hers yeah it's uh it's a mouthful um <laughs> i don't think i've seen that one it's it's really interesting it was really ridiculous hoshe anderson did one wow. um and like i mentioned earlier birdland which was uh beto hernandez's uh spinoff that was just him doing hardcore porn wow uh, with some of the characters from love and rockets uh but yeah that kept them in business for many right. years before right. they got peanuts um, so it's, a, it's an important comics cultural milestone because without that we wouldn't have so much more. Um, so it's a nice fit that you're fan of graphics now with that book. Yeah, it's, you know, the, it was funny. You know, I turned it in. Uh, Eric Reynolds kind of like was like, you know, we can't allow any of this nudity in the comic at all before we publish it. And it was, he was just joking, of course. It was just, but it was really funny to hear him sort of like say that. <laughs> just really yeah. deadpan. Yeah, yeah. It was great. 
No, you originally self-published the first chapter, um, and that well, was... actually, actually um, that was Jess G. Gill. Oh, okay. Over at Color Code, yeah, we've been wanting to work together on something for a while, and um, he he got he, we we connected it like we've been talking like every once in a while, and then one time he we connected at just the right time when like my I had a couple of months coming up that were open and it was like in, enough in advance that we could like get it for TCAF. So he's actually the one that, that printed it. Um, the, the first, the first chapter. And I had no intention of really like going back into it and exploring it further. But, um, then, uh, Ed Piscor, uh, really encouraged, um, Fanographics and I to like, sit down and hash out a book project yeah. and you know I, I i had a few ideas to present to them and and that was one of them and that was the one that they wanted to pursue um but this is your first color book right yeah yes i would say it's my first yeah like color book i mean i've done like you know short stories and stuff that were that were color but never something this uh well, I'd never done anything this many pages before. Uh, I think collectively I probably have, but never just a one long form story. And yeah, it was it was uh, my first uh, yeah full color. And I guess uh, the the reason I'm bringing that up is because yeah. like all your other work, it's very lo-fi, printed on yeah. super cheap newsprint, black and white, uh, with really splashy color covers, uh, but when you're working with uh with Jesheet with uh, color code with his print because you're uh he's doing resto printing and I'm interested about that like work with the color choices um for that book and kind of that process because uh, it's not just doing like you know gradient fills in Photoshop like you're specifically measuring the book out and uh, using these color themes. Yeah, what's well, amazing. I mean, Jesheet is like a master at the risograph machine he, i mean that's a he did a four color risograph uh book that that issue that he printed of the first chapter uh is four color risograph which is more like that's very unusual you know you don't usually see those sort of things and um with with a there's a couple of ways you can approach it you can actually just color use any color and then uh save out the color channels in Photoshop as uh, separate uh, as separations, you know, yeah. so you have four different separations and um, but I did, I wasn't thinking along those lines. I just wanted these sort of like big primary color blocks, you know, just big shapes because, well, it was for a couple of reasons. One is that I really don't like to color stuff very much. I like to, to just do black and white um, uh, drawings and uh, and keep them that way. But um, I think Fantagraphics really wanted it to be uh, full color, so I ended up making um, uh, the graphic novel version of it full color too. But I, I also just don't enjoy like the process of coloring and making those choices because there's just too many variables involved and you know you can you can really fall down 
a well of uh, just fine tuning, you know, color uh, uh, choices and, and and approaches to to the point where it where it just becomes. Um, um, I don't know, you can get real perfectionist with it. And I try to avoid that at all costs. So my approach is to kind of keep it uh, very simple and make sure that these uh, big shapes of color sort of just support the, the line art. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you, when kind of graphics want you to continue the story, um, did you have a good idea of where you want to take it? Or is there a lot of freeformness to it? There, there was a lot of freeformness to it. Um, it was, uh, I knew I wanted before, before we had talked about doing the book, um, I knew I wanted the second chapter to be, take place on a plane and for, you know, Amwat to, uh, fight some, some hijackers. Uh, and I've been watching, you know, some Chuck Norris, uh, movies like Delta Force and uh, Invasion USA. Well, I actually hadn't seen Invasion USA in many years, but I sort of remember watching it as a kid um, on TV. So there's some references to that. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was, it was very, I, I meditated on it for a while and just would let like ideas kind of, um, form in my mind and either like dismiss them or or add them to like this sort of uh, mental story that was starting to formulate but uh, when I sat down to actually compose it and, and write it it was very fast you know that's I mean that's usually how, how I work anyway mm-hmm. but I just sort of like laid it all out um, um, very quickly and then the fourth chapter which I think is probably the most critical um uh, phase of the book. Uh, I don't know where that sort of came from. I knew, I, I kind of knew that I wanted him to sort of, to sort of settle down or something. And it actually, I, I, I used a lot of elements from a story that I had, um, composed like 10 years ago that I was going to make about a friend of mine who was going to be like this suburban, sort of superhero Mm -hmm. and I used um just a lot of like material material from that 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 had been sort of like stuck in my mind in my vault of ideas for you know a decade or more now one of the things um that's kind of interesting about the book coming out right now is it seems to really tie into the current uh American political discourse um post Paris um, is that something in your mind uh, kind of observing the politics are you particularly interested in the American politics um, I I am but it's not like uh, it's it's sort of hard it's hard not to um, well, I, I mean I, I read the New York Times almost every day and it, it's difficult not to sort of uh, come across all, all of that stuff all the time. And, um, you know, when I was, um, I was living in New York, you know, in the, in the early aughts and, and, uh, you know, when, when September 11th happened, 
you know, I realized that I didn't know anything about the world at all or why this event had taken place. So I made sure to really um, start paying attention to a lot of stuff that was sort of happening. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I've, I've, I'm sort of like actively paying attention to a lot of that stuff. Um, but also passively, it's pretty hard not to, um, you know, pick up on all these sort of things uh, happening in the world these days. Do you want to continue doing this kind of political outsider stuff? Or is it kind of, do you feel like you've exercised it? No, yeah, I definitely feel like I exercised it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I, I really just want to tell <laughs> stories about, you know, uh, like elves and dwarves now. <laughs> I want to do like, like a total Dungeons and Dragons, like epic fantasy sort of like sword and sorcery uh, thing now. You know, I'm really sort of in this kind of, Maybe it's escapist or something. It's kind of funny because like that sort of stuff is um, is always sort of like a part of my active daily interests. You know, I'm a, I, I read a, I read a lot of epic fantasy and 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 uh, you know role playing games are a really big part of my life. Do you um, have a campaign going right now? What's that? Do you have a campaign going right now? No, I don't actually. It's really it's really frustrating because um, well, while having moved to to Toronto, I'm still sort of like getting my uh, uh, routine sort of set, and but I know a lot of people here that that are interested in playing, and I'm gonna get a game going eventually as soon as my schedule sort of calms down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm I'm really eager eager to to get back to like having a regular game. Uh, I've, I've I've been playing for you know like seven years in New York. And had been in a campaign that was like four years plus that I, you know, had to um, had to leave when I moved. Uh, and it, you know, it's it's just really funny that like this the book that I made is um, is so sort of like actively involved in well, not 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 very specifically, but it has something to do with the sort of uh, political, the policy, the foreign policy of, of, of the United States and, and sort of like the, that's reflection on sort of like what masculinity is and um, the, the sort of themes, but that is like really far from what I'm interested in doing like kind of on a daily basis. And, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if I had my druthers, I would be like working on like a, I've got this story about uh, dwarves fighting wizards. That's like, I'm waiting sort of for the right time to, to tackle, but it's very, it's very far from, from the political kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I guess um, it's kind of a good segue, but I just have a couple more on what questions then we'll jump into the fantasy stuff. Totally. It's, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's, while we're doing this, you're probably prepping for a trip to Spain because uh, the book came out there. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm wondering about the international response to this to this book, um, how people process it there, or do you have any idea yet? You know, it's it's difficult for me to um, have an accurate sort of assessment, but people seem to be really excited 
about it there. Um, the my publisher uh, did a collection of all of my uh, self-published, early self-published stuff, and that um, did pretty well, I think. And then um, they translated Amwat and are, are releasing that as well. And I think that people sort of, from what from from my vantage point, it seems like they 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 sort sort of see it as like in the same kind of vein as that stuff that they were introduced to uh, previously, which is, you know, just like this sort of genre action, mm-hmm. uh, action movie stuff that's very, like, uh, very American, I think, in, in a lot of ways. I think that they can sort of maybe identify a kind of tone or, or, or something that probably I even don't realize that is present in the in the stories themselves. Well, uh, but, so... go ahead. No, no, you, no, you're you're on a thought. No, no, I don't. I don't think. I'm, no. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I was gonna say because I could see it connecting, especially when you look at uh, Spanish works like uh, I think it's the Cabbie. Oh, for sure. Yeah, right. Like especially yeah, like absolutely. that 1970s like exploitation, anti-establishment, you know, anti-fascist, weird, violent stuff. Right. That was pumping out then. I didn't know that cabbie was from Spain. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, that's really crazy stuff. Like, I don't know if you know much about, like, the 70s scene there. I don't. Uh, there's a, they had some really interesting underground shit come out of there. And then uh, uh, at the same time, Heavy Metal, they had a Spanish magazine called uh, El Vibora, I think it was. Wow. Which went, I think, into the 80s. And you'd see, like, really good underground and... Uh, alternative stuff like they'd have Hernandez and Burns and all sorts of really good shit. Oh, that's cool. And yeah. That's wow. Look, look for some while you're uh, while you're in comic stores. It's it's really good shit. But I mean, it's there's definitely like a really interesting tradition there of really bucking against the system. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I I didn't I I wasn't aware of that at all. So yeah, I'll definitely have some time to you know I'll, I'll just be in uh, comic book stores when I'm there the whole time, so hopefully I'll be able to surf through or go through some, like, long boxes yeah. whatever. Yeah, I'm also going to a, a big comic convention in Madrid, so hopefully there will be some some stuff there, too. Do you still do a lot of long box uh, hunting? Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, you know, that's just, like, I can never really... It, it's, it's sort of like, you know... I, I want to say it's like an addiction. It is. But it is, but it's like because you because you because you, you go through these um, these long boxes in the in the hope that like there might be one thing that might be awesome and by might be like fifty percent awesome, and that even if it's fifty percent awesome, that's like a huge success. Uh, but I've been I've been conditioned to the point right now where I don't really expect to find much, and my tastes have gotten like so refined that and I've been exposed to so many comics now that it's rare for me to find anything new that really is exciting, you know. And and so it's it's just really difficult 
but um, I continue to do it, you know, I'll still like, like get really into, like now, nowadays I'm really into Mark Texiera. Oh yeah. And his Sabretooth miniseries. Amazing. It's so good. <laughs> um, some of his storytelling, like panel to panel stuff, I have some problems with, but the way he draws things and like his sort of just, you know, like the, the, the approach that he has to his line work is just so kind of, it's loose in a way that's almost like cavalier Mm -hmm. and nonchalant in some, in some ways, but also just really intense in other ways too. It's it's really interesting. I've been studying his stuff recently a lot. And I don't know, but he's also one of these guys that looks like his work could function on a monthly deadline too, which really I find I find really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, like he's a, he knows his shortcuts and he's able to Yeah. Like like to me like I really like comic book artwork that looks like it's done to meet a deadline. Like it's fat because you have to have this kind of attitude where it can't be that important, but you also have to really love it at the same time in order to do it. So it's, but it's also like, just like this job that you have to like put in, you know, eight hours a day and finish the page. It's just really, it's, it's really weird. And he's one of the guys that sort of has it because he's, it's, it's like, it looks like it's drawn fast, mm-hmm. but it's also, um, uh, uh, just, just really kind of interesting and, and unique and distinct. Um, but it's also got this sort of like macho quality to it too. It's, I don't know, it's really, it's really cool. And some of the, like some Bisley stuffs like that too. Totally. I was, I wonder if like his, he was influenced by Bisley. I mean, Bisley's sort of like the master of that because there are, are even points on the page that look like he just drew it like something in like two seconds. But then there's other parts that are rendered like so lovingly and like, you know, specifically, uh, but at the same time, like where I I hear, um, you know, about his process is it's just like, he's just like working as fast as his hands can move sort of thing. I mean, I've never seen him, you know, work on anything, but I hear like, it's just like, it's, and, and I, that's something that I, like I aspire to to work like like I I think that's like a uh, evidence of like working very confidently and very like assuredly and and I, I don't want like I find I find myself like really tightening up and moving really slowly and sort of painstakingly and I, I feel like that that, that kind of can kill artwork or, or, or make it disinteresting. I think there's a part of that that's also working out of necessity. Yeah, um, like. You have another job. I mean, comics aren't your. That's true. Your your sole income, but if that was what you're doing, you would be pumping out you know as many pages as you could. Totally. That I remember I was first time I interview. Well, I've only interviewed Bisley once, but we got delayed because of what we were supposed to do. An interview. He had to have three pages done in four hours. Wow. He's oh, like. Wow. He's just like I'm just fucking. I'm on Red Bull and I need to get the shit done and. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, why don't we talk in a week? Does that sound good? Like, That's yeah. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and we did the we did the interview, and he like literally 
it was a good interview, and he was like, by the end of the interview, he was like, okay, I'm in my car now, and I'm going to the pub. Bye. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. I mean, his stuff is really like. I remember, I remember reading that stuff when I was younger, and and even just recognizing the power of it. Uh, when I, even at, at a young age, I wouldn't be surprised if that sort of rubbed off on Texera a bit. Mm. Um, although he sort of has like this weird kind of like Neil Adams thing going on. I would say probably more Neil Adams because he's pretty contemporary. Yeah. To Bisley, I think there's like there's a Neil Adams thing. Um, which is interesting because there's no Michael Golden thing in him. Yeah, yeah and most, that's true. Most guys around that age kind of filter Neil Adams through Michael Golden. Oh, uh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, like uh, like Todd McFarlane or yeah, Liefeld, huge Liefeld Michael sure. Golden fan. Oh, um, interesting. Art Adams, you know, Art Adams. Oh yeah, totally. Steals majorly from Golden. Interesting. Um, yeah, it's it is fascinating. I mean, there's these weird traditions. I mean, I could even see some burn in Texera yeah. and some of it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, do you ever see his Pentos comics that he did? Yeah, they're great. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, they're really really cool. I like I like I like his uh, acrylic paintings more than I like his uh, watercolor stuff. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, is he, I, I is like he still really doing good. anything? You know, I think. He, I don't know actually. I I seem to. I know he came out with that Space Punisher, sort of series or graphic novel, and that that was fairly recent. I don't know if he's got anything like on the stands right now. I think that he's a pretty dependable uh, guy, so I I think that Marvel might keep him busy with some like special projects here and there, but. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if he's if he's currently working on anything though, that's like solicited. Now earlier, um, you're mentioning how you want to kind of go more into the fantasy area, um, and so I said that'll be a good segue into this other thing. And so I figured now would be a good time to jump into the other thing, yeah. which is your massive blades and lasers, hot pink, uh, fantasy excursion. Yeah, um, I love the color usage on this. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Like both both Amwa and Blades and Lasers, the color choices are sort of based on the risograph yeah. uh, and what that sort of uh, print printing process is able to provide. So, yeah, I, don't, I also wanted the blue and pink to kind of be a nod to um, Santoro's Cold Heat comics, even though it doesn't really use. The coal, the 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 pink and blue, the same way that he uses to like to create other sort of colors by overlapping them and everything. Well, it's um, also colored in a completely different way, probably. Yeah, too. yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, the, and then my my friend, um, uh, my friend Devin was like, "Yeah, the the blue is the is the steel of the blade, and the pink <laughs> is the laser. The like the." the color of the laser so that's, that's what awesome. i'm going with now yeah <laughs> yeah um so this was this your first foray into into the fantasy stuff kind of yeah i mean i've tried a little bit here and there you know with some short stories but not really anything too 
serious. I did like a web comic that was uh, called Zoriana's Sword Lord, which is kind of like the same kind of thing where it's this. Uh, I'm 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 a big Jack Vance um, fan, and uh, I love like his Dying Earth series, which is you know set on um, Earth like millions of years in the future when the sun is you know about to uh supernova and um and so like magic has has come back and been forgotten and technology is like this ancient sort of like uh relic and and there's there's you know uh 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 weird medieval sort of societies and it's so I'm, i'm a big fan of that sort of uh treatment of um of, of, of the world and the setting and everything. So I, I wanted to, I wanted to make a comic set in that kind of, uh, world. And, you know, and I had this idea for this sort of like laser gun rogue, like Han Solo guy that was like, you know, hanging out in, in bars and things like that. And, uh, I can't remember why, or when I decided to give him a barbarian brother, but um, <laughs> I, I did that, and and that sort of, and then Ian Ian was asking if if I wanted to participate in this, you know, this this sort of subscription model project that he had been working on, and if I had any stories that, that I wanted to do, and and I, it was just a good opportunity for me to sort of really. Um, you know, uh, pay some attention to this idea and, and, and actually craft the story around it. Now, I think I'd like it more in the little format than the big format. Yeah. Both of them work, but little format's neat because it really, because of the Risso, you get that weird feeling when you're reading it too. Like it's kind of dirty. That rubs off on you. I'm a really big fan of the really small, uh, lone wolf and cub. Uh, Dark Horse collections, yeah, and you know, I, I, I always, I was always, those things never cease to amaze me because when I read them, you know, they're these really small books, but they transport me to that place that the comic uh, is taking, like the story is taking place. And it's it's just like this weird sort of like portal into that world, uh, and it just goes to show you it doesn't have to you don't have to have like a large sort of uh, book in order to have have any power you know. Um, so yeah, I like the I like the small books too, be, just because I I think that they they give you like this kind of like really intimate reading experience. Now earlier we were talking you're talking about the influence of movies on Amwat and Blades and Lasers also feels like it's something that could be one of those ridiculous 1980s VHS only releases yeah. in a way just by the cover. Yeah. I'm wondering if that's how that's feeling into it. Um, it I mean, I think that that stuff um, tends to uh, permeate a lot of the stories that I tend to write. Mm-hmm. Um but it, it wasn't it was as direct as some of the other stuff I've done. Mm-hmm. Like this one was really just about um, uh, doing sort of like a Jack Vance 
sort of story, but it is through the lens of a 1980s B-movie sci-fi sort of thing. But there's no real specific movie. Like, a lot of my stuff I can point to, like, really specific movies that had a direct uh, or direct inspiration or direct influence. But Blazing Lasers, it's more difficult to do that. Um, I do think that like obviously the barbarian is Arnold Schwarzenegger mm-hmm. from Conan and the uh laser guy is um sometimes i think of him as Keanu Reeves from Point Break but um but then he could sometimes be like Sylvester Stallone kind of character too uh so yeah it's it's tough it's 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 not as like as like specific mm-hmm. and this kind of feeds into what you've been posting on your instagram i've noticed is your uh your barbarian drawings and your fantasy drawings yeah and uh i i really like what i've seen it and it's neat how um you've really like kind of captured a certain 1980s barbarian comics I don't know if you've read much of those. I I have I have like the first two issues, but I haven't really, really like read them in depth. But I don't think they're any good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I I found one. I think it was like all new Barbarian comics or something, and it's like, oh, the first wow. page. It's fucking like it's just awesome and nasty, but it's like you can't read it. Like they're yeah. so verbose. Yeah, that's. That's the problem. I, I, I do have a lot of trouble reading. Um, I don't have like the patience that I did when I was younger to read those yeah. comics. Like I, I'll get like two pages into it. And if I'm really not engaged, I just start flipping through it and just looking at the artwork, which is usually re- the reason why I would buy a comic in the first place. Anyway, I'm really into just like looking at the drawings and the pages. Well, that that kind of feeds into how you write, like both Almont and Blades and Lasers. Almont especially is so, you know, minimal. Blades and Lasers is pretty minimal too. Like, let's just get the fucking action going on and, um, you know, not get into these long epic fantasy diatribes. Yeah, I mean, that really I really stuff. like one of the things that I really hate about. Uh, one of my big criticisms of like a comic that I think is unsuccessful is when you have two panels next to each other, next to each other or on top of each other, or whatever. They're essentially the same thing that don't advance anything. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I have this like, you know, um, I have these comics of Mark Teixeira that are this limited series he did for Image called Union. And um, I've been looking at those recently. I really love the way he draws stuff, but there are, are moments, and I don't, I don't think it's his fault necessarily, because I think he's just operating from a script, you know, that's basically, you know, saying what has to happen on each panel. But if there's a panel of like Union with his head down, and it's kind of like a close-up, you know, from the side. And then the next panel is Union with his head down, and it's from a different angle. And I'm like, this is. Re- this is this is redundant. Like I don't I don't you're taking me out of this story by not engaging me with like some sort of progress here. This like I 
so that's one thing that's a goal for me with when I make my comics is like every panel has to advance some sort of movement or narrative sort of information has to be you know moved forward at some at some point and and I, I, I think that it comes from you know I, I draw yeah I, I I, I do all the, uh, the visual storytelling first. I sort of work in like a modified Marvel method for myself, where I will, will give myself a plot and then break it down page by page about what has to happen. But then I start drawing everything and, and, and do the words last. And then you take credit. And then I do take credit for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. One of the neat things, especially with Almont, um is it almost has like a rhythm to it too mm. like there's i almost want to say like a musicality to just like how you use the words yeah uh, just to keep it punch punctuated going and going and going and going um and blades and Lasers does that too but not to the same effect as as on lot and i'm wondering if that's something in yourself like you see like some kind of rhythm in your writing uh no i mean uh I think so. I think, I think there is a rhythm, but I, I actually think that, that, that that's a that, that's a weakness because I think you want to. That's a that's something that you need that I need to pay more attention to to like manipulate more so that people don't the reader doesn't fall into like this sort of like groove, you know that, that <laughs> you know there's like you know hills and valleys and you know moving forward and backward and i don't know um that's that that should be a, a goal for me the next time yeah the, the language in amwat was i think uh dash shaw was telling me he was like that's that's really what the whole book is about it's about that it's about like the i mean that was an experiment too uh formally with 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 making comics is uh i think this is what dash meant is the the book is all about that experiment of what you show in the pictures and then what you what you what you tell with the with the words and um i was just with that whole book it's sort of like a play on on when those sort of things collide and they collide more often than um do they sort of like you know work in harmony they're just mm -hmm. it's sort of like yeah, i don't know um uh like there's like a limited language, but also um, it's like a pressure that's moving things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I can know. totally see that. Yeah. For know. sure. Maybe, maybe I sound like I'm full of shit. <laughs> no, for, for me, it was, you know, I've, I was always taught to, you know, make sure that words and the pictures do two different things. And that's sort of where you know, that's what makes comics, good comics and great comics like operate so well is, you know, you can get this very, very deep, rich story um, or reading experience because you're getting these, these two different story, uh, this, 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 this story delivered through these two different channels. And in, in Amwat, those two channels are like the same channel some of the times, or, or it's that channel they're 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 working parallel to enough to one another but then they hit each other and and you know 
it's, it's that collision that sort of gives sometimes, it, it its its tone. Sometimes it's stereo and sometimes it's mono. Yeah, yeah. Or it's, you know, it's just sort of like anti-rules, anti anti-comic rules, you know, anti, anti-form. It's almost an assault on your senses. Yeah, exactly. Um, thanks for joining me today, Ben. Hey, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, of course. It's late for you over there in Toronto. Oh, it's not so bad. Uh, reminder, folks, I've been talking to Benjamin Mara, and his latest books are Terror Salter, One Man, War and Terror, otherwise known as Omwat, and uh, Blades and Lasers from Sacred Prism, as well as Ben's uh, other stuff, including Gangster Rap Posse, uh, Maureen Dowd and Lincoln Washington and American Psycho and probably some other stuff I'm forgetting <laughs> lots of stuff now yeah that's awesome uh, thank you so much thanks man mm-hmm.